This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that loves dough but is really glad not to be in the bread business. Boom tish. I'm Andrew Page and with me, as always, Mr. Scott Phillips. G'day Andrew, g'day fools, thanks for listening. Today on the podcast, bread rolls at 20 paces. The supermarket giants are duking it out over bread again. Next, we're going to talk about a dividend cut for Telstra. Will it happen and what should you do? We're also going to get medieval and dive into the fascinating world of moats. Believe you me, there is a finance uh, relevance to that. And, of course, I get on my high horse. This time, what I hate about Warren Buffett. What? Controversial. Let's start, though, my friend, with bread. All right. You like bread? I like <laughs> I like bread. That, that's a hell of a premise for a podcast, isn't it? All right. Next, Let's talk about foods we like. Next topic. <laughs> we, thought we, we thought we'd talk a bit about bread yes. because the supermarket giants, Coles and Woolies, are at it again. And Coles has come out and said, we're dropping the price of over 30 varieties of bread, to use their words, to make sure our customers can get great quality bread from our bakeries <laughs> at affordable prices. God, they're nice guys, aren't, aren't they? they? Gosh, they're great. These price drops will help Australians save millions per year. Millions. Millions of dollars. By shopping at Coles. Now. I'm sensing a bit of a sour dough taste to this end. <laughs> oh, very hey, good. Hey, hey. Mate, you're a bit crusty this morning, <laughs> but I'll give that one to you. I'll try and rise to the occasion. <laughs> good. I got nothing else to come back with. <laughs> Excellent, because it's going to degenerate it really quickly. So tell me, why why are Coles being so nice to us consumers? Aren't they nice, guys? They're so they good. All, they just care about us. And that's really so important. So nice. Look, listeners might be excused for thinking this is 2014 all over again. Yeah. There was a time a couple of years ago when Woolies and Coles got into a bread price war and a milk price war. Milk was the other one. Milk yep. was a dollar a litre and two dollars mm. for two litres and the bread was a buck for a, a loaf of, of Coles home brand bread. Yep. Um, that was then. And that, start, that was really the first shot in, uh, the first salvo from Coles yep. in the, the, the ensuing price war. Yep. The down-down campaign was really kind of, you know, exemplified in that bread price. And the reason is that consumers know, and Coles know that we know, that bread and, and milk are what they call known value items. Staples. And so the cheap, well, not even just staples, it, it's actually a specific kind of, uh, we, consumers know the value of a few things. Arnott shapes, cans of Coke, loaves of bread, mm -hmm. bottles of milk. Mm -hmm. And so if you can show as a retailer, you have cheap products in those kinds of areas. You only look at the front page of a catalog every week. That's exactly what supermarkets know and so they know that for me to think well it's cheap or coles is cheap oh i'm with you. i have to have the cheap bread's bread cheap the milk's cheap, cheap ergo Therefore, everything coles is cheap, cheap. yep aren't it shapes are exactly the same they have half price shapes on the front page because they yep. know that it creates in the consumer's mind a sense that oh that supermarket must be cheap because the coke is cheap or the shapes are cheap or the toilet rolls are cheap the known value items nappies is another one yes and so there are really really important ones that you know do make a, a massive difference okay and okay so i i get that but and, and I get the advantages of scale and all this other kind of stuff. Yep. But surely, surely they are not making... Now, let's let's talk about this in, in pieces. Don't call me Shelley. Start with Coles and yes. Woolies. Yes. Are they making money when they sell bread at a dollar? No. So this is the other thing about a known value item, right? Okay. So again, same with nappies, same with baby food. They sell these things basically at break-even because they are so important. They know if they can get you into the store to buy the cheap stuff in those couple of those known value item categories. Yes. You'll probably spend the other hundred bucks, 200 bucks a week with them so, in their supermarket. In fact, not even just break even. You could you could be what they call a loss leader, Correct. right? Exactly we we, right. we lose money here. We know well, we lose money because you're actually, you're buy, you know, very few people go in, buy a loaf of bread and walk out, right? You buy a yeah. basket of goods exactly. and that's exactly. where the profit margin is. Now, technically you're right about a loss leader, except Coles and Woolies have well, a decent amount of market power. This is so, where it gets interesting. <laughs> they, they might be doing the leading, 
but someone else is doing the losing. <laughs> and that, that someone yes. else is often, if not outright losing, most of those discounts are generally funded by the poor food suppliers, when, the manufacturers, I, the guys who make this stuff and sell it to Coles, they're normally having to foot the bill. They, in fact, in the, the article when, when this was all talked about during the week, they said um, the price discounts will be shared between suppliers and the, sh- and the supermarket chain. So isn't that <laughs> nice? They're sharing. Oh, isn't, isn't that, that lovely? Great? They're sharing those discounts, which is another way of saying, uh, dudes, the guys who are making the bread... <laughs> You're, you're copying this one on the chin. In a former life, Andrew, as you know, I worked for a couple of food companies, a couple yep. of people who supplied Woolies and Coles. I can tell you, none of those suppliers voluntarily came to Woolies and said, hey, can we drop our prices, please? That'd be really, really nice. <laughs> yes. In fact, they came to Woolies and Coles and said, uh, Woolies and Coles went to them and said, we need cheaper bread. And if you can't help us, we'll find someone else who can. Um, that's not exactly a threat, but it's not far away. Um, Woolies and Coles are entitled to sell product for whatever they want and buy it for whatever they mm-hmm. want if they can get away with it, yep. such as the, the law in our country. And the reality was they said, well, we want cheaper bread price. Otherwise, we'll go to your mate across the road and get cheaper bread from him. The suppliers can't afford to lose that volume. And they say, well, this is going to hurt, but okay, I'll do what we have to. And that's exactly what you're seeing today. It's not the link you want to be in that particular value chain, is it's, it? Unless you've got a really, really strong brand, supplying to those mm. supermarkets is tough, tough business. Just because they're so dominant, they're so powerful. Mm. Uh, and look, as you've already mentioned, Andrew, we as consumers are all benefiting. We're all going to buy cheaper bread as a result. Yep. Um, we'll lose in coals, we'll lose a bit of margin. The suppliers lose a whole heap more margin. It's, it's not really good for anybody except for us consumers. Yeah. Okay. So with that in mind, now Goodman Field used to be a listed business. and <laughs> yes. um, That's such an awful business. And, you know, it, it's a good thing that it's not anymore because yeah. it's potentially saving a lot of us investors money. If, if it was, we would be saying stay a mile away for those reasons Correct. just outlined. And I did actually work for Goodman Field as well in, for my sins in the past. Um, some wonderful people, some great, great... Uh, uh, yeah, some great people there. It's just a structurally tough business to be in. Yeah. You, you need a whole lot more bakeries than you can actually utilize because you need fresh bread right around the country. Mm. Um, overhead recovery is just really, really hard to come by. So they can't afford to lose that volume, which is why it's easy for Liz and Coles to say, guys, we'll go to your competitor if you don't help us out. The bread companies have no choice but to say, well, okay, I guess, because there's no alternative. Oh, it sucks, doesn't it? Mate, so, look, look, bottom line, invest in the retailers before you invest in the suppliers. Yes, very true. Very true indeed. Motley Fool Money. Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Mate, let's talk about Telstra. Yes, um, from the sublime. Yeah, yeah. Telstra is always in the news. A very big company, a lot of mum and dad shareholders there. But the, it's been under pressure. The share price hasn't been doing well uh, of late. In fact, it's really been a rocky ro- ride yeah. over its entire listed life. Should be pointed out that I think long-term investors, for the most part, have done well, particularly the T2 investors. That was when they opened up the second tranche and extremely well. Mm. But uh, yeah, not so lately. And what's really sort of weighing on things at the moment is this idea of this earnings hole that's coming up. So they've they've been forced to divest themselves of their uh, monopoly uh, network assets mm-hmm. as the NBN is built. Um, uh, they're having to hand that um, what they've got over to them. Indeed. And when all this is finished, there's going to be a whole bunch of money that they used to be earning that's no longer there, Correct. the so-called earnings hole. Correct. And people are now saying, well, we've always loved Telstra. It's big. It's never going to grow by a, a huge amount. But, geez, we get a lovely, fat, fully frank dividend. That's what we love mm-hmm. about it. 31 cents a share Correct. at the moment. And now people are saying, actually, that can be cut. I read something in the fin the other day, one particular broker saying it could be dropped to 17 cents a That share. was City, City Group, correct. And and so I guess we thought, well, maybe we should dig into this. Now, again, full disclosure, it is a recommendation for the dividend investor service I run. It's also, I believe, on the share advisor service. And I own it well. personally. And you own it personally. Well, we are, we are neck well. deep in Telstra. So we, <laughs> no bias here whatsoever. Um, but it's something that I think, you know, often say that if there is a bear case for 
any of the investments that you're interested in, and there always is, you need to know it and be able to articulate it better than the other party. Right. Otherwise, you shouldn't be holding the shares. So if I put it to you, uh, Scott, um, what? Uh, let me ask it this way. What, what is? What exactly is the bear case and why are you not worried about it? The bear case is essentially what you've outlined, Andrew, which is at some point the profit the company is currently making from that fixed line asset. So think about home phones in particular. Yep. That goes away once the NBN takes over. Yes. And Telstra becomes a reseller of those services. Mm -hmm. Now, Telstra makes more money from selling those currently than it will be getting in future because some of that fixed line just simply goes away. Yes. Um, you're effectively paying for internet service, getting home line for free. Yes. And that ter Telstra currently charges for both. The Telstra gets $11 billion worth of money from the NBN for hand over that asset. So that's the first part of the story. The, the question really that'll, is- what, That'll flow through for another three, four years three or four so. Years, yeah, correct. Yeah. And the question is really what the company does with that money. Mm. Now, if there is an earning, there is an outright earnings hole by definition. Yes. There is money that they're receiving currently, but they won't be, they won't be in getting future in the future. Because yep. they don't have anything to sell. That home line business goes away. Can't deny it. That being said, I think the reality is a couple of fold. Firstly, this is already a declining business. It's been declining at mid to high single digit percentages uh, for years. Yes, okay. The fixed line the business. The fixed line business, right. Okay. And the growth business has been the mobile business, which they get to keep. Going gangbusters. And so you, exactly. Yep. So if you think about what's being what's being regulated and taken away is that fixed line business. They're reselling the MBN, so they're a retailer there, yep. but they still retain the infrastructure of the mobile business, which is where all of the growth is. Yes. The amount of data, the amount of plans, the number mm -hmm. of devices. This is, this is a, and frankly, that's what I always liked about the Telstra business. Yep. They'll get some money from the MBN to do the handover, and there could well be a- Some profit. money? Do you want to put a figure on that? $11 billion, as we mentioned. <laughs> um, uh, but there's, that, that's, that's the question. You know, where, yeah. you know, will there be earnings? Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. The, the, the reality is the fixed line business goes away. Yes. And that, that, that would have been possible. It's no longer there anymore. Yep. At the same time, Telstra is growing mm. its mobile business, which is absolutely the jewel in the crown, mm. and it's getting a whole lot of money from the NBN, mm. and it can use that money to do a whole lot of things like find more ways to grow, mm -hmm. or buy back some shares, or mm. do a whole lot of other things as well as paying out a dividend. So there are plenty of options for Telstra. Mm. Now, the last point I will make is I think even if that is the case, even if they, uh, even if worse comes to they may have to cut the dividend. If they cut the dividend from thirty-one cents to twenty-four cents, for mm -hmm. example, on the current share price, that's more than five percent yield plus franking credits. Yeah. So I think in terms Still of puts it above market average rates, a long way above market average. So if you think about why, you know, is the, is the company decent value? Absolutely. Is it paying a decent dividend? Yes. Would I like it to continue to be thirty-one cents? Yes, I absolutely would. I think there's a decent chance it stays at thirty-one cents or something higher than than the seventeen that City are suggesting, by the way. Yeah. But I think if you look at the range of possible outcomes, it goes from status quo to 17 cents, mm. almost anywhere on that continuum is still an attractive investment at the current price. Particularly. So lots of cash coming in, lots of optionality, as you point out, but therein lies the risk, right? So I'm, I'm the CEO of, of Telstra, yep. God help us all. <laughs> and I decide I'm going to invest in I don't know, wind farms or something. And I take that $11 billion yes. and I plow it into something and it just proves to be very poor capital allocation. Yes. And, and I've invested a bunch of money. I'm getting no, no uh, return on that investment or yes. certainly not a, a, enough of a return. And that earnings hole becomes very real. Correct. Um, do you have any concern about that? Kind oh, it's of... always it's always a risk. But because I think... they have done, there's I wouldn't call it moonshots, but but they've got some pretty pretty interesting investments that they've made, right? Yeah, I think we. Or is it a case to... of just throw a bunch of money and see what sticks, <laughs> fail quickly, and you know? I think there's a couple of components here. I think uh, without going into too much detail. We tend to look at new things, new ideas, like they, they're investing in new businesses mm. as if it's a big deal. Yep. And we kind of forget or ignore, or we tend to forget or ignore by definition, 
everything else, which is the business they're already in. Mm. And you can be just as disrupted or make such bad decisions on your current business as you can to go anything new. Mm. Is there a risk in doing something new? Absolutely there is. If they move into wind farms, I'll be selling my shares. Mm. But by the same token, if they did nothing, if they'd never done their, their mobile business, if they hadn't done some of the things they're doing, the, the, the Wi-Fi stuff, mm. the, the reality is there's as much risk in the current business, or, or not as much risk maybe, there is still a lot of risk in the current business of any business, any mm. company, mm. as there is in doing something new. And so we shouldn't just look at the new thing they're doing and say that adds or subtracts risk. I mean, mm. it does to some degree, but there's as much risk in saying, I'm in the technology space, I'm doing nothing. Yeah. That's probably as risky as trying to do something. Yeah. One of the things I like to do is sort of sketch out multiple futures. Um, you, you have to, as an investor, sort of settle on a, a fairly defined range. You'd have to say, well, I think this is going to happen. And therefore that's my bet for one of a, for better, for one of a yeah, better word. Yeah. Um, but I think it's still a useful exercise to say, well, what if, and yeah. let's say it does get cut, as you say, very substantially and the market ascribes say a 5%. What does that mean? You sort of, you come up with a value, it's a, the value I come up with is actually a little bit higher than the current market yeah, price right. when you do that. And then you say, well, and then you go to the other end. You say, well, what if they do actually manage to pull a rabbit or two out of the hat here and some of these, and then you sort of, you get this sort of spectrum. And one of the things I always like is when you get to a, a scenario where it's fairly asymmetric, where yeah. yeah, absolutely, it can go badly from here, but there's a lot more possibilities on the upside than the downside. Yep. And so I think that's one of the things that is is compelling for my m money at the moment with with Telstra is that yes, you don't you don't want to dismiss these challenges; they are very real. Mm. Um, they might not be nearly as successful as we hope them to be, but even even something that's fairly mediocre results in not a I wouldn't say a good outcome for investors, but certainly a far from a terrible one. And on a balance of probabilities, it's one of those bets that you would make ten times over correct, because correct. on average it will tend to work out well, which is. Um, anyway, that, that, that's how I, I thread that particular needle with Telstra, not, not, not dismissing those challenges, but sort of putting it in context with all the potential possibilities and still coming out reasonably well. That is a perfect Heads summary. Heads I win, tails I don't lose too much, as, as a famous investor once said. Perfect summary. Get more Motley Fool money advice at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Mate, uh, moats. Yes. The big things around castles, big, full of crocodiles and sharks and so excrement. It, so it's it's a term that uh, Warren Buffett, I'm going to wax lyrical about Mr. Buffett Buffet in a second, but um, uh, it's a term that he popularized. And he's really talking here about what, what he might uh, refer to as sustainable competitive advantages. Yes. Something that protects your business, that ring fences your business from competition, that allows you to extract more value than you otherwise would, that stops new entrants from coming into the industry and gives you significant pricing power. He loves these businesses right. because these are the businesses that tend to make a lot of money and tend to be very good for, for shareholders. Yeah. Now he talks about a moat in the sense of, think about a medieval castle. Mm. If your business is that, if your business is inside that castle, mm. what you want to do is find a way to keep your competitors as far away as you possibly can. So that means a big, wide, deep moat. It means high castle walls. And it means hopefully someone up the top of the castle with a good sword or a bow and arrow to kind of keep the competition away. It's yep. about fortifying your business from the threat or the reality, frankly, of an attack. Yep. So we thought it's a very, it's a very valuable concept. I mean, there's, there's investors I know who do nothing other really than just f ask that question. What is this business's competitive advantage? What yep. is their moat? Yep. Really try and understand that because 99 times out of a hundred, if you understand, if you are able to identify those kinds of businesses, yes. you don't really have to worry too much about your valuations and your timings. And that's just going to be a wonderful compounding machine over time. Mm -hmm. Let's run through some of the moats that you might want to look for as an investor. Yep. You start first. My favorite one is a little bit controversial. My favorite one is the brand. Oh, uh, an intangible. Motive. Yeah. I, I think there are very, very few things that 
give you the right to operate in a market, mm. defense against competitors as the old fashioned trust mark. The thing that says, I will buy your product or yes. someone else will buy your product because you have a brand that stands for something. So I walk into a shop, yep. a bit thirsty. Yep. Um, there's a whole bunch of options there. I'd like to sell you some home brand cola, Andrew. Well, but actually there's a red can over there that all the young kids and, you know, I'm going to be on the beach with a beach ball and but the home a lot brand cola is cheaper <laughs> and they know it and they trust it. And I'm, so I'm probably going to go for it and I'm going to, all right, let me see your Pepsi. Pepsi is a little bit cheaper and it's a brand. Uh, it's got its place, exactly. but it's not going to, I mean, this is the thing that comes up again and again and again. There's, is, and you know, Apple is, I think is a wonderful example of that. People who will pay uh, excessive prices for that little <laughs> apple. For, um, mindlessly. Mindlessly. Uh, yes. Wrigley's chewing gum is one that often comes up in a lot yeah. of business case studies as well. Yeah. So I think I think that's a wonderful one. So you want to look for a brand. It's, it's that instant sort of customer recognition that's yes. going to allow you to extract a bit more price than you otherwise would. And I would nice say brand in a, in a very broad sense. So don't just think about consumer brands, mm -hmm. but IBM, for example, is a computer brand. Yeah. There are a, a, a name that means something to the purchaser Yes, that gives them a sense they're going to get what they want and be happy with their purchase. There's a wonderful line in the business community, which was you'll never go, you'll never get fired for recommending IBM for buying IBM. For correct. buying IBM, that's the correct. one. In other words, the reputation is so strong that even if the integration doesn't work out too well for you, your boss is never going to say, "What the hell were you thinking yeah, with that, IBM?" Boss, it was IBM. What better choice could I have made? Exactly. Yeah, nice one. My favorite moat, Mister Phillips, yes. is the network effect. Well, tell me about that. I think that's probably the, one of the strongest. Seven network can... or the nine network? No, it's a, it's it's a network. different network. It's more of a computer science network kind of concept, I guess. It's the idea that you have these reinforced systems where um, the best example on the Aussie market is probably a like car sales or a right. seek or something like that. You have a, a, a situation where the more nodes to your network, the more powerful it oh, becomes. Node to your network. So what I'm saying here is that we, we, the, the job, the job search websites are, are phenomenal here. If you're looking to advertise a job, you're going to go to where all the eyeballs are. Right. If you're going to look for a job, you're going to go to where the advertisements are. Correct. So we have this wonderfully self-reinforcing system. So the I more advertisers, up... the more job seekers, the more job seekers, the more advertisers, the more advertisers, the more job seekers and so on. Exactly right. Man, I could come up with the world's best uh, job search website, far better algorithms, looks prettier, just wonderful. But it's pagejobs.com. It's going to really struggle because I'm going to have to get on, you know, all of these disparate actors in concert to move across <laughs> to me. Right. And it's a very, very difficult thing to, so when you see a, a company that has a bit of a first move advantage and building up a network effect, yep. that is phenomenally powerful. Think about taking your entire life off Facebook and going to another social network. Or think about yes. if you're a job seeker, are you really gonna, are you really gonna register with that fifth level job site where you figured the advertiser are already gonna have their stuff on seek anyway? Yes. Why would you go to a second or a third portal when you know it's all there? Car sales are the same. You can go somewhere else to try and sell or buy a car, but Everyone's already on car sales. Why? Yeah, exactly. exactly. Okay, give me give me another moat. What I like in particular is scale. Oh, I like that one Now, too. Scale, yeah. is, scale is not just size. Scale talks about your ability to basically, we'll use a, a wanky, fraction, a wanky uh, analyst term, fractionalize your costs, right? Ooh. So it's talking about, if you could, say you've got to buy a 30-second ad on TV, mm -hmm. that's going to cost you what it's going to cost you. Call it 100 grand. Yep. Now, if I, if, I, if I sell two cans of baked beans a year, mm. that costs me a lot of money relative to the cans <laughs> sure of baked beans did. I can yes. sell. If I sell, though, a million cans of baked beans a year, mm. that's a much, much cheaper ad spot to buy. And if yep. my friend only sells 10,000, yes. he can't afford as much advertising as I can afford simply because of the size of my business. Yes. Similarly, I'm more likely to be able to negotiate better terms with other suppliers. I'm more likely to be able to 
fractionalized, to use that word again, mm. the cost of my CEO, my finance department, and my sales and marketing teams. It, 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 it confers a whole lot of advantages, makes your products cheaper to manufacture. Yep. Um, it is a better place to be than trying to do it from scratch with a smaller business. So it's not just pure size, but it's your ability to fractionalize those costs to buy your inputs at a much cheaper price per unit of output than you otherwise could. A good modern example might be with um, Iron Man himself, uh, Elon Musk and his Gigafactory yeah, for so batteries. Yeah, very good example. So he's making these power walls and batteries for, for the uh, Teslas, et cetera. And he's, he's, he's created this Gigafactory. He's building it at the moment. And it is so huge and so large. And they're going to build a, a bunch of these things that they're able to order the raw ingredients on such huge scales that they just get this real low cost advantage there. So correct, it's, it's a wonderful thing to have. So, so look out for those as well. Correct. I'll, I'll end up uh, with, uh, with one last one and then we'll move on. I think another really great mode is what you might call switching costs or sometimes referred to as a trap door you mode. You do like this one. I do love it a Tell lot. Tell me about the trap door mode. So it's the idea that once I'm a customer, it is very, very hard to switch. I mentioned Apple before. I think that's a good example that the Apple fanboys that are out there who've got the phone, got the tablet, got the the, the iPad, you're on the iTunes. iCloud account. It's, it, look, it's not that you can't transfer. I've known people that have, but it's a bloody pain in the ass. It's, it's very difficult. The best example is probably with uh, accounting software as well, it, or, or um, in fact, enterprise grade type software. When you're a business and you've, you've invested literally millions of dollars into a lot of these technology and system, it's taken you a year or two to get onto it. My inventory, my accounts receivable, my billing, my Everything's pricing. Everything's on there. My and, and this is business critical stuff, right? right, you're right. Accounting, you can't just say, ah, oh, we can live without that tomorrow. Yep, now yep. someone comes and knocks on your door and says, I've got a system, it's, it's better and it's a bit cheaper. Uh, shit. Okay. So, but now I've got to spend the next three years doing this. Right, Things right, are always right. going to go wrong in between. It's going to have all these business disruptions. You know what? I'm just going to stay with this one. I'm Heinz. I make baked beans. I use, I use page analytics for my, all of my computing needs. Yep. And someone says, Hey, how about you stop your production line, stop your salespeople, transfer your accounts receivable, change your inventory over, work on your new P and L. Yep. Do it all on a new piece of software. Cause it's 10% cheaper. Oh man. When you see when you see a business that has extremely high retention rates, yeah, there's yeah. a very good indicator that you're you're looking at a business retention that has, rates. Tell me about that. Reten well, that's just the, the, how many clients you get to keep on average at the end of the year. If you right. start with a hundred and the end of the year you've left with fifty, you got a fifty percent retention rate, which is okay. It's okay. There's nothing wrong with it. But there are businesses out there that have ninety percent retention rates. Uh, another great example. I, is, I'll give you a good example actually on. on those. Is Hanson? It's a little known company on the Aussie market. They do technology for utility billings. What's the ASX code uh, for that one? HSN is the code. Hotel Sierra November. Oh man, and it, you just look at the history of this thing. It's phenomenal because once it, it's now this cuts both ways. It's hard for them to win a client like off a knife, someone, <laughs> someone else, right? But once they've got a client, they have pretty much got them for life. And not only that, but you can then really flex some pricing power. You can put your price up by three, four percent each year without blinking, yeah. and no one's gonna, people are going to whinge, but they're not going to go anywhere. Payroll provider is another great example. Oh, great. ADP yes. is a is oh, a well known yes. payroll provider in the US. They have spectacularly good um, retention rates for exactly that reason. Why would you go somewhere else? You save a little bit of money, but how desperately do you want to save that money versus the hassle, time, effort, potential screw ups? Yep. You know what? Good enough. Close enough is good enough. I'll keep what I've got. What I'll say here, fools, just to end it all off, is that when you're looking at a business to invest in, ask yourself this question. What stops from competitors coming in? If there is one thing that capitalism is good at, it is identifying outsized returns and looking and people looking to sort of challenge that. Yeah. You've got a big fat moat around your business that stops people from doing it. You get to earn those outside returns for yourself for a long, long period of time and shareholders in those companies make squillions. We should say that these moats 
aren't as off, aren't as common as you think. I yes. think we, we yes. do tend to sort of, as investors and, and Buffett fans and the rest of it, you sort of, you, you love this concept and then you go out of your Every way. Every business has a moat. Everyone it? has a moat, you know, <laughs> and, 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 and we need to be careful that the, not all moats are created equally and not all, all moats are as permanent as we'd like to Just think. Just because so. you have scale doesn't mean that can't be taken away from you. Just because you have a network effect doesn't mean someone else isn't stronger or they can't disrupt yours. Real money advice from real people. Not just a couple of dicks with a Porsche. Get more at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. And that's a lovely little segue into my high horse. So you've just talked about how much you love Warren Buffett's... <laughs> i got to do the sound effects. You just talked about how you love Warren Buffett's <laughs> idea of moats. I, I, and we know he's a master investor with 50 years of track record that puts anything you and I could possibly achieve well into the shade. Yes. And yet... Mate, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to, you, you told me this was going to be about why I hate Warren Buffett. I am a, I am a Warren Those Buffett fighting fan words. I am. I'm going to climb across this desk, <laughs> take you by the throat and choke you. Unless you can explain I did stand yourself. on the other side of the desk for a very good reason today. <laughs> um, we talk a lot about Buffett. Anyone who listens to this podcast will know. Anyone who's seen any of our, right? We, we talk about him a lot. And yet it does get under my skin. The trouble with it is, look, Buffett has this wonderful ability to take these really complex financial ideas and he distills it into these pithy one-liners. And there's just so much wisdom contained within all of that. He just, you know... You, Read a lot of Buffett, you'll become a better. So that's why you hate him because he's a thoughtful guy telling us how to invest. Well, I don't hate him per se, but this is what I this is what I hate about it. The trouble is that every monkey out there has jumped <laughs> on this bandwagon. Anyone in our industry is just want to sort of quote Buffett, and it makes me cringe because we do it ourselves. And people will say, "Well, Buffett does this, and we do this too." Ergo, you should come and invest in our, come and invest with us because we're going to get Buffett type. So you don't hate Buffett, you hate people pretending they're like Buffett. I do, I do, and I think it 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 kind of. It, dulls the That's message a lot of the time too. It, it's just cliche. It's passe <laughs> when every, every idiot out there is quoting hey, these one. Like people after a while just go, oh, for God's sake, yes, yes, we get it. Everyone's trying to bask in the reflected glory of Buffett. And there are some like ourselves, I would suggest, who perhaps can do that because we, we you know, we are, we are g- genuine Buffett fans and we, we really try to, to embrace it. But what is there to dislike about a bloke who says rule number one is never lose money? Oh, so rule okay, number two let's is go never through some rule exa- number one. Let's go through some examples. It gets quoted to me all the time. Buffett says never lose money. Rah, 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 and he's like, and he did you, say that. And, and yet, yet you know, my shares clearly. have gone down 10%. So therefore, and, 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 and this is, this is the, the danger of reducing complex ideas to pithy one-liners is that you do lose a lot of nuance and a lot of subtlety. And I think you've got to dig behind that. So Buffett's not saying I've never lost any money before. We've talked before about how he's made substantial mistakes in the past. And he's never sort of saying you'll never experience a paper loss. Of course you will. There's a very, very real difference between what you might call uh, paper loss due to volatility and what you might call permanent capital loss because your business that you've invested in has been structurally and seriously impaired. Those two things could not be more different. Yep. And that's what we as investors have to understand here is that he's not saying never buy anything and it goes down, you know, you're in trouble. He's just saying <laughs> there's, there's a difference there. The other thing you, you might often hear is he'll, he'll say, uh, be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. It's Lock a it in. wonderful saying. It's brilliant. He's Buy really talking about this idea of being contrarian. But then people go, oh, well, this is down. And Buffett says that I should buy things when they're down. Therefore, I'm going to do it. Or actually, this thing's gone up a lot. And Buffett says I should be scared when others are really greedy. People are greedy. Therefore, I'm out. Right. And it, it, it removes a whole bunch of other stuff. He's, he's really sort of saying, look, you can take advantage of these emotional swings on the market. Right. But of course, 
in, first invest, important investment principles don't go out the window. It's not as simple as that. So when you hear people spouting these kinds of things and referring to, you know, this is the rationale for the investment and they're referring to one simple one-liner, it's, it's, it's a worry. Yeah. One last one that gets under my skin a bit is Buffett talks about his favorite holding period being forever. He is the quintessential long-term investor. That's fair enough, right? Hey, it's great. Well, I certainly buy everything with the intention to hold it forever, but, um, doesn't mean I don't sell and sell with extreme prejudice at times. Um, and so does Buffett too. There's a lot of stuff he holds. He actually doesn't hold it for very long at all. There's a difference between buying with the intention to hold forever and actually holding. You are an idiot if you are just going to put your head in the stand and ignore all new facts that come to the table. So I think it's another example of where Buffett really sort of gets taken well out of context. I think, I think he makes some good points, Andrew. I think, look, and there's two ways, frankly, to my mind that he is taken out of context. One is that people say, Buffett said this, he doesn't do it, therefore he's a hypocrite. Yes. Or conversely, Buffett says this, and I'm going to do that regardless of whatever makes sense. Yes. And I think in both cases, yeah. you're right, Buffett, Buffett does. Uh, if you live by the intent behind what he says, you, I, I find it hard to believe you won't make money as long as you're a relatively sensible investor. Yeah, I agree. Taking, the, taking the, the, the canon of Buffett yep. and, and, and investing accordingly, you will make a, a great deal of money. Mm. I think the challenge for investors is making sure they get that bit right and saying, what do you really mean? Yeah, go below, what do go, I actually go do behind the one liner. Yes. And, correct, and look correct. at it holistically as yeah, well. Yeah. Yeah, look, investing is not something you can reduce to a, to a formula. There's a lot of, there's a lot of subjectivity to it. There's a lot of nuance to it. You know, it, there's a lot of probability around it. And, and I think people do themselves a disservice by only looking at the periphery. here. So here's my challenge for you next week, Andrew. Okay. Next week, we're going to find three of our favorite Buffett quotes oh. and explain what he really meant by them. I like it. How's that? for on the spot. I like it. Let's see if we can remember that a week from today. <laughs> That's the challenge. That does That's wrap right. that up, Fools. Thank you so much for your time again today. Remember, as we always say, you can subscribe to the Triple M Motley Fool Money Podcast. And you should. And you should through iTunes or your favorite Android podcast app. And if you like what we're doing, please, a nice big fat five-star rating would be most appreciated. And of course, you can go to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. That's fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Sign up to our free newsletter. Hear more from Andrew, myself, and our boss, Bruce Jackson. Nice one. Until next time, full on. Full on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.